Hello there, and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. Thank you for joining me on this adventure into the world of erotica. As you'll know if you've listened before, I'm a total novice when it comes to erotic literature and really the kink scene in general. And even though we're on our sixth season of stories, most of it is still new to me. So if it's new to you as well, you're in safe hands. And if you're someone who considers himself something of an erotic veteran, then please excuse and feel free to laugh at my ignorance and relative prudishness. It's a new year, January 2024, and we're going to have a new story, like we do in every series. Although it's been a while since we've had a long one, so I thought maybe let's go for a slightly longer one that we've done. And while I don't want to do one that's as long as Lesbian Slave Island turned out to be, I do feel like I'm ready to become invested in a longer, more significant multi-part series. Which is why I've chosen to read a story by UK underscore writer underscore 53 called Undercover Stripper. Listeners to previous series will know that I don't read the stories ahead of time, But I will say that Undercover Stripper is one that ticks all the boxes of my relatively slapdash screening process. It is a 10-part series, which I thought was a good length without getting too long. Each part has between 5 and 10,000 words. Perfect. There are comments on every single chapter of Undercover Stripper, and it is a very highly rated story. In fact, there's not a single chapter that isn't rated H for hot. The final checkbox on the screening process, if you can really call it a screening process, is that it does seem to have a final ending. So it's not one of these to-be-continued-at-a-later-date stories. It is a story that wraps up in a nutshell. And although I haven't read the ending, so I don't know how satisfying it will or won't be, it is good at least to know that there is an ending. Another thing that I liked about this story, which is a kind of half checkbox because I don't think a story necessarily has to meet this criteria to be considered for the podcast, but it's definitely a bonus. It's kind of a bonus point, I'd say, in my screening system. And Undercover Stripper earns that bonus point by being a hybrid between the erotic genre and any other genre. I just love a hybrid where a genre of story that isn't normally associated with pornography has eroticism thrust upon it. And although we've had a kind of mystery detective type story in the past, I think this is going to be a significantly different story from Death is a Beautiful Blonde that was very much set in the 1940s and written in a film noir style. Whereas I get the impression that Undercover Stripper is more of a gritty London cop drama, perhaps in the vein of something like Line of Duty or Happy Valley, maybe. (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait and see. One more thing before I get underway, I'm going to mention the stats of the first chapter of Undercover Stripper. Every chapter in the series has the same subtitle, and that subtitle is A Couple Go Undercover to Investigate a Crime Syndicate. Chapter 1 has 5.3 thousand words. It's got a 4.53 star rating, which as I've mentioned makes it a H for hot story. It's had 25,000 views, 56 likes, and there are 11 comments for us to have a look at at the end. I'd like to say thank you to UK underscore writer underscore 53 for allowing us to read their story on the podcast, and I really hope that you'll enjoy it. Reveal all except the truth Undercover stripper Take off your clothes and move your body to distract the eye Nobody knows that under 
The shrill jangle of a phone on his desk interrupted the investigation report that Tom was working on. Rolling his eyes in frustration, he glanced up at the clock on the far wall, noting that it was still only ten minutes to four o'clock before picking up the handset. Detective Sergeant Whitby! Announcing himself, he paused and listened while the disembodied voice of his boss asked if he was free to come and see him. On my way, Gov, he groaned inwardly, closing the computer document he'd been working on. Getting up out of his chair, Tom wondered what the governor, as they all called him, could possibly want with him this late in the afternoon. Stopping in his doorway, he quickly scanned his boss's office for any clue as to why he'd been unexpectedly summoned. There was nothing unusual to be seen, though. The late afternoon sun filtered through the blinds across a desk that was strewn with its usual disorganised mess of empty coffee cups and scattered paperwork. Hi, Tom. Come on in and grab a seat. In his shirt sleeves, DCI, Detective Chief Inspector, George Freeman, glanced up and ushered his subordinate into his office. What's up, Gov? Tom dropped into the visitor's chair, curious as to why he'd been pulled off his current duty without any obvious reason. He waited patiently while his boss rummaged around amongst a pile of folders balanced precariously on the edge of his desk. Selecting a large manila envelope from amongst them, he opened it and pulled out a sheaf of papers taking a few more seconds to read through whatever was on them before looking up and regarding his subordinate for a moment. I need to reassign you to another investigation, Tom, he informed him somewhat bluntly. There's something that's come up that I think only you can look into. Me? said Tom. He sounded somewhat incredulous. Thirty-year-old detective sergeants are pretty run-of-the-mill and, in his experience, unlikely to be the only option for a special job. DCI Freeman pushed the handful of papers back inside the envelope and shoved it towards him leaning back in his chair as he waited for the junior officer to look at them. Read that, he said. More than a little curious, Tom took it and scanned through the pages it contained, flipping back and forth as he took his time to digest the information it provided. When he had finished, he put them on the desk and looked over at his superior. Pretty sketchy stuff, Gov, he shrugged noncommittally. It's not really a lot to go on. Exactly my thoughts, but this gang have been operating under the radar for quite a while now, and it's obvious someone, somewhere, is protecting them. He steepled his fingers, his elbows on the desk. We need to try and get someone on the inside, and find out who's really running the show. You want me to go undercover then? Tom queried, seeking confirmation of the role he'd been selected for. There's not a lot there to give us an in. He'd known George Freeman for five years. He was a good copper, and as a DCI, he'd looked after his team but he knew his boss was holding something back. His manner told him that there was something else to add, but that he was reluctant to tell Tom what it was. What I'm going to say, Tom, is rather sensitive, and unconventional. Only you can deal with it. Of course, you're free to decline this job if you want to. I'd understand. George Freeman finally spoke again. But, yes, if you take this on, it'll be an undercover operation. Sounds like heavy stuff, Gov. What's the problem? Now Tom was really intrigued. I have it on very good authority that someone else is investigating this gang, and we need to get a look at what they've found out. I suspect that they're ahead of us on this one. His expression told Tom that there was more to this than his boss had just admitted. Come on, out with it, Governor. I'm a big boy now. Sure it can't be that bad. Tom grinned. 
Oh, it is. It's a journalist. The senior officer sighed. They've been doing a lot of digging, and I'm told they've come up with some information. But they aren't sharing. Well, I can ask my wife. See what she can find out for us, I guess, Tom offered, with more than a hint of reluctance. His 27-year-old wife, Jessica, was a reporter with the regional paper, and they often found themselves at odds over his work and her reporting, especially when they were investigating the same thing. He knew he would have to approach asking her carefully if he wanted to avoid another argument at home. That's the problem, DCI Friedman looked miserably at him. Your wife is the one investigating the story. Oh, shit. His loud, succinct exclamation fully reflecting his feelings. So, will you take the assignment? His boss asked him hopefully, after a lengthy pause. Don't really have a choice, do I? Not if we want to get the information off Jessica. Tom's voice made it obvious that he wasn't ecstatic about the situation his superior had just put him in. Not really. I can't put another officer on this. Although, I could try to get the paper to put pressure on her. But you know as well as I do, they'll cry police interference and make our lives hell. Tom grinned back knowingly. Just like she's going to do to me, you mean? I'm sorry, Tom, but what else can I do? DCI Freeman shrugged. Options are pretty limited on this one. Tom grimaced. It's okay. I'll survive, I'm sure. Thanks, Tom. I'll clear your schedule. You can hand over your work to Lisa. Freeman's expression was one of frustration as he handed him the assignment. Report in directly to me, at least until we know who we're dealing with. Leaving his boss's office, Tom Whitby headed back to his desk to tidy his current paperwork away. What's up, Sarge? DC, Detective Constable, Lisa Williams, asked, as he dropped into his chair opposite her. He glanced across at the slim, pretty brunette who worked with him. If he hadn't been so totally in love with his wife, he could have gone for her in a big way. Her large brown eyes, bobbed brown hair and cute upturned nose made her look innocent and always made him feel protective towards her. But sometimes the way she looked at him, or the sway of her slender hips, sent a huge wave of desire through him that he found hard to resist. Ah, oh, the boss has reassigned me. You'll be taking on my workload for a while, he informed her casually, shoving a pile of folders across her desk. Oh, great. More to do. She rolled her eyes and gave him a smile. Has he given you anything good? Can't say. You know how it is, he told her, with a conspiratorial wink. Yeah, I know. She laughed and batted her eyelashes at him. I'll catch up with you later, Lise. With that, he collected his jacket off the back of his chair, said goodbye to the rest of the team, and headed out of the station. He needed a drink, and some time to think about what he was going to say to his wife. Ten minutes later, Tom Whitby walked into the Red Lion, a nearby pub that most of the coppers from the station frequented at one time or another. He was pleased to see that it was quiet this early in the afternoon, though, with only a couple of old boys sitting in the corner, playing dominoes as they nursed half-empty pint glasses. It would give him a chance to think how to tackle the problem of getting the information he needed from Jessica. Hi, Tom. We don't usually see you in here this early. What can I get you? Sarah, the barmaid, had come across to take his order. Just a pint, please, love. He watched her turn away to pull his drink at the pump. If nothing else came to him while he was there, at least she was good to look at. Sarah had been working at the pub for a couple of months now, and she'd got to know most of the regulars quite well. She was young, maybe 21 or 22, with short blue hair, this week, and a cheery smile. Her tiny skirts showed a decent pair of legs, which along with a pretty impressive chest, made her an ideal barmaid in his mind. Thanks, he said, as he paid her and took his pint, sitting himself on a stool at the end of the bar. What's up? You look like you've lost a fiver and found a penny. She obviously wasn't busy, as she followed him and began to talk. Oh, not much really, 
Tom frowned and replied, after taking a mouthful of his drink. Nothing you could help with anyway. You never know unless you ask, sweetheart. She smiled, leaning forwards on the counter and giving him a view of her tits down her top. Lots of people ignore the barmaid when they're talking. You'd be surprised what we hear. Ah, oh, it's just all these scams that are hitting people. We're looking into who's behind it. Even though he was sure Sarah was straight, he didn't want to give too much information away. She looked at him and shrugged. Well, all I've heard is that the guys behind it are pretty nasty. They have things shut down tight. Heard from who? Suddenly she had his full interest now, and it wasn't because of her chest. Friends, that's all. Leaning closer, she whispered quietly, I have a few friends who are strippers. They hear stuff in the bars and clubs. That's all. Strippers? Tom looked suitably surprised. Yeah, I know. I was one for a bit, but it didn't suit me. So I switched to being a barmaid. For a second, he imagined Sarah without her clothes on, and immediately pushed the very pleasant image aside to concentrate on what she was saying. How come they get to hear all this, though? He pressed her for any information he could possibly glean from her. You didn't hear this from me, though. All right. Her voice dropped to a whisper again as she glanced around. But rumour has it the group have been looking to invest their ill-gotten gains in real estate, primarily bars and strip clubs. Tom sat back, taking another mouthful of beer and watching Sarah's pert backside as she walked away from him to serve another customer who had just come in. There were only two strip clubs in town. Neither were particularly upmarket establishments, Sin City and The Lounge. As far as he knew, neither one had been taken over recently, but it was a lead, albeit a slim one. Then again, he thought to himself, maybe Sarah could persuade one or two of her stripper friends to talk to him. They might not know very much, but right now, anything would be better than the nothing that he had. That was one for tomorrow, though, he decided. His immediate problem was waiting for him at home. He needed to think of a way of getting at the information his wife had obtained, and to get her off the story she was chasing, especially if the gang were as nasty as Sarah was suggesting. Finishing his pint, Tom made a point of speaking to Sarah again before he left, asking if she thought any of her friends might talk to him. She shook her head and told him she doubted it, not that she thought they could add much to what she'd already told him, but she did agree to ask. He flipped out one of his cards. Look, you can call me on that number, and whatever you or they tell me will be strictly confidential. She read the card and slipped it into her pocket. I'll see what they say, but I'm not promising anything. Anything, anything at all might be helpful. He tried to keep his eyes on hers and away from her tits. Well... One of my mates did say she'd got a new boss at Sin City, she tossed casually into their conversation. Apparently he's a bit of an old lecher, not like the previous guy who ran the place. He grinned. See, even something like that might be useful. Thanking her, he headed out to the street to make his way home, still thinking about Sarah dancing nude and wondering how he was going to talk to his wife about her investigation. He was halfway home and just past the local council offices when a sudden thought struck him. Changing direction, he headed through the main doors, and flashing his warrant card at the receptionist, he set off up to the first floor. Hi, Rob, said Tom, as he stepped into the planning office. How are you? Tom's older neighbour and friend, Rob Greenwood, looked up. Well, hello, stranger. What brings you to the mucky world of town planning? The couple had known Rob since they'd moved into their flat, where he lived by himself, just along the hallway. He was quite fit and athletic for a sixty-year-old, almost as tall as Tom, with a full head of grey hair. I'm very good, mate. How are you doing? He continued on answering the greeting. And how's Jess? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. She's fine too, Tom replied, easily falling into conversation with him. I take it this isn't a social visit? Rob asked. Tom grinned broadly. 
Rob could always read him. Um, no, mate. Sorry. I'm just looking for some information. He tried not to slip back into being the heavy police officer with his friend. Okay, shoot. I'll see what I can find out for you. Unless it's about me, of course. Then I know nothing. Rob winked. Tom smiled back at his neighbour. If it's about you, then I know it all anyway. They both laughed. No, it's about Sin City, the strip club. Do you know it? Tom continued. Yes, Rob said somewhat hesitantly. What's this about, then? Nothing specific, Tom started. Even with his friend, he didn't want to give too much away. I heard it might have been taken over recently, and I wondered who bought it. Rob looked thoughtful for a moment. Can't say I've heard anything, but let me go and check the records, see what I can find out. Thanks, Tom acknowledged, as his neighbour disappeared into the back office. He hung around for the next fifteen minutes waiting for him to return, and was just about to give up when he reappeared. Well, that took a bit of finding. Rob rolled his eyes in exasperation. Giving him a questioning look, Tom asked, And? What's going on there? Rob shrugged. Not a lot, really. Yes, it was brought about three months ago, and cheaply too. The sale price was well down on the market value. That figures with what I've heard, he commented dryly. All the paperwork went through a solicitor, a guy named James O'Connell. He signed and notarized all the documents, Rob informed him. Tom gave a slightly puzzled expression. So, he's the owner? No, but he is in touch with the owner, Rob continued, filling him in on how it worked. He acts as a front for whoever owns the property or business. It's not illegal. A lot of celebrities and wealthy people do it. And what about the licensing? Tom inquired. Don't you need to know the owner so it can be licensed? Rob shook his head. No, as long as the person in charge conforms to the licensing rules, then it's all above board. So, how can I find out who owns it? Tom asked. From having a small lead, it seemed like he might have hit a dead end at the first obstacle. Well, you could ask the solicitor, but he's unlikely to tell you. If they'd gone to the trouble of hiding their identities, he would have been briefed to keep it a secret, his neighbour told him, something he already knew. Any other way? Tom wasn't hopeful, but he had to ask. Not through planning, that's for sure. It was said with a finality that made it clear to him there was no point pushing for more information. Well, thanks for looking, mate. We'll have a pint sometime soon. The pair shook hands, and Tom turned for the door. Give my regards to Jess, won't you? Certainly will, he threw back over his shoulder as he walked out of the office and started for home again, thinking about his Jessica problem. Tom had met Jessica four years ago when he was attending a minor crime scene, and she was there looking for a story. He had been a DC, detective constable then, after joining the local police force when he resigned from the army, while she had just left university and had recently taken a job at the area's regional newspaper. She was drop-dead gorgeous, five foot eight with long, straight blonde hair, big blue eyes and a slender athletic figure. Even in jeans, he could tell her legs were one of her best features, long and shapely, and while she didn't have much of a bust, he later found out she was only a 34B, she still had a willowy figure that drew plenty of admiring glances. On impulse he had asked her out, and unsurprisingly she'd said no. She had said no to just about everyone he found out later. Their paths had crossed again a few weeks later, and Tom had tried again, just asking her to go to coffee this time, and she had surprised him when she'd said yes. Possibly, he'd thought, because someone at the newspaper had told her that getting friendly with the local constabulary might help getting information on the occasional story. They'd had two coffees, and by the end of the first cup he was head over heels in love with her. By the end of the hour, he was heartbroken when she told him she was kind of seeing someone. Regardless of this, he had given her his card, and had taken her number when she gave it to him, just in case she needed to talk to him in the future, she informed him in a business-like manner. 
For the next three days, he had wandered through his waking hours thoroughly miserable, unable to even contemplate the fact that the girl he had fallen for was with another man. Then, completely out of the blue, she rang him. Could she see him? Maybe they could get a coffee or something. Tom was rendered almost speechless, but obviously he agreed without hesitation. He arrived at the coffee shop early and waited for her, sitting idly and stirring his coffee, wondering what she wanted. Probably just after some information on a story, he told himself. When she walked into the cafe, she looked absolutely stunning, even though she was casually dressed in just a pair of jeans and a plain red button-through shirt. She swayed elegantly between the tables, her long blonde hair loose and hanging around her shoulders as she approached him, drawing envious looks from a lot of the men in there. The thought of her in a relationship and in someone else's bed filled him with an unreasonable jealousy, but at the same time had his cock hard in his pants in less than a second, making it a little awkward to stand and greet her. Thank you for coming. Her eyes seemed a little red, almost as if she'd been crying. My pleasure, I told her, meaning it. She bit her lip, looking somewhat anxious. I, um, I, uh, I wanted to see you, I... Tom reached across and took her hand for a moment, fighting the urge to wrap his arms around her and tell her how he felt about her. Well, here I am. His cheery voice sounded out of place in what was becoming a rather odd conversation. It's kind of, well, I, I'm not... Jessica was clearly struggling to put into words what she was trying to say. Look, let me get you a coffee and you can collect your thoughts. Tom grinned and left her to go to the counter. Coming back with her drink, Tom slid into the seat opposite and went to speak. So, what can I... No, please, let me say what I came to say and then I'll go, she interrupted him, her beautiful blue eyes regarding him with a look he couldn't quite fathom. That was when he sensed the tight knot forming in his stomach and for some reason he felt on the verge of panic as he waited for her to tell him something he didn't want to hear. She looked down at the table and a solitary tear ran down her cheek as she took a deep breath. After we had coffee the other day, I... I couldn't stop thinking about you. I didn't understand it, so don't ask me why. All I knew was I really wanted to see you again. Well, here I am, said Tom. She paused and wiping her eyes took a sip from her coffee, glancing apprehensively up at him. I... I know I told you I was seeing someone, but it wasn't serious and I... Well, I broke it off when I realised. She bit her bottom lip as she gazed at him for several seconds. Realised, he said, slightly confused. I... I'm in love with you, she suddenly announced, without any form of warning. His mouth opened and closed several times, but nothing came out as he struggled to comprehend what she'd just said to him. It's completely stupid, I know, but... but I had to tell you. She started to collect her bag to leave. I'm so sorry, Tom. I'll go. Wait, please stay. His heart was thumping against his ribs like some sort of jackhammer. She shook her head. I'm really sorry. You must think I'm some sort of idiot. You probably got a girlfriend. I'll go. I, I'm so sorry. I love you too, he blurted out, not wanting her to walk away. She stopped and turned to look back at him, sitting down heavily. You what? I love you, he shrugged, feeling utterly helpless. I fell in love with you over the first cup of coffee that we ever had. What do you mean you love me? Jessica studied his expression carefully, staring into his eyes. Are you just making fun of me? No, I'd never make fun of you like that. You, you're serious? She looked at him questioningly. I've never been more serious in my life. I'm completely and totally in love with you, Tom stated simply. I have been ever since I first met you. Oh my God, I was worried about telling you, and you love me. She stared at him for a moment and began to laugh softly. Reaching across the table, he took her hand and chuckled along with her. Another coffee? 
Jessica leaned over to him and lightly kissed him on the lips. Yes, please. They dated for six months before they moved in together, and then six months after that, Tom asked her to marry him. Of course, much to his surprise, she said yes. They tied the knot in a modest family ceremony and quickly settled into married life in a small flat in a decent enough area of town. Everything was perfect, except for one small thing that caused all of the arguments in their marriage. Jessica's unbelievably stubborn streak. She could be a very determined young lady when she put her mind to it, so on the odd occasion that their work paths crossed, it caused one or two arguments. Bearing all that in mind, Tom knew his wife wouldn't take kindly to him pressing her for any information she had on the gang he'd been tasked to investigate, and as for telling her to drop the investigation, that was likely to cause a major row. Hi babe, said Tom. Entering the flat, Tom's sense of smell was immediately assaulted by something cooking on the stove. That smells really good, he said. Hi hon, Jessica called back. I'm in the kitchen. He made his way to the door and leant against the jam, watching her as she moved around the kitchen pausing to smile at him before going back to whatever she was preparing. Don't I get a kiss? She looked over her shoulder and teased him. Grinning broadly, he reached out and pulled her back against him, kissing her on the lips. Twisting around, her arms encircled her husband's neck and their brief kiss quickly became something a lot more passionate. Their tongues found each other and holding her against him, he let his hand slide down to her bottom, cupping her pert round rear through her tight jeans and grinding his hardening cock against her. Easy, cowboy, Jess laughed and pushed her hands up against his chest. I need to finish getting dinner ready. Reluctantly, he let her slip out of his grasp, stepping back to watch her lithe figure as she went back to preparing their evening meal. How's work going? he asked her casually, probing to see if she would let anything slip. Everything's fine, thanks. Her offhand reply told him she wasn't about to give anything away. Working on any good stories? he tried again. She glanced around at him as she put something in the oven, her expression one of curiosity rather than anger. No, not really, just this and that. He knew his wife was lying. Not that she was a bad liar, quite the opposite in fact, except when it came to him. For some reason he always seemed to have the knack of seeing straight through her. Deciding to leave the subject alone for a moment, Tom waited until they'd sat down to eat a little while later that evening. I heard you were looking into all that scam business that's been happening lately, he mentioned quite casually between mouthfuls of food. Oh, she paused for a moment, still looking at her plate. Who told you that? Does it matter who told me? I just wanted to know if it was true. He tried not to sound too assertive. Jessica put her knife and fork down and looked straight at her husband, her eyes defiant. Yes, it's true. I've been looking into who's behind it. Why? He sighed. This was going to go pear-shaped on him. He knew it as soon as she glared at him. I've been assigned the investigation by George Freeman. He wants me to go undercover on it. She stared at him, a horrified look on her face. Well, you you can't. You'll have to tell him it's my story and I'm going to get the scoop on it. Oh, come on, Jess. It doesn't work like that, and you know it. He knew she was well aware of how the police operated and that he couldn't just walk away from an investigation because she wanted to get a story. Why don't you just let me have all the information you've got and I'll give you the inside scoop on the story when it breaks? He knew he was lying. He couldn't promise her that. Oh, just like that, I roll over and let you take all my hard work. No chance, mister. This is my story, and I'm going to report it. She put her foot down firmly, and he could feel the argument coming to the boil. Oh, it's not like that, hon. He tried to placate her, but he knew it would be futile. It's not? What is it like, then? Tell me. I want to know. Her voice rose several decibels, and he recognised the signs of the impending explosion. 
Rolling his eyes, he sighed and again tried to explain. These guys are dangerous, Jess. If they decide you're getting too close, they won't think twice about getting rid of you. Is that what you believe? She began to argue back, but he could tell his last comment had slightly unsettled her. Feeling he was starting to get through to her, he nodded, before going on to tell her the details from his conversation with Sarah that afternoon. Jessica listened without interrupting, and then went silent for a minute. Strip clubs, Jess repeated, after considering what he'd said to her. That's what Sarah said her friends had told her. Apparently they're going into real estate, bars and strip clubs primarily. She bit her lip, obviously still reflecting on what she'd heard. That kind of ties in with what I've found out. Oh, and what's that? He immediately pushed her, wanting to know what she'd found out. That Sin City is under new management, and it seems that it wasn't taken over nicely. He could tell from the way her eyes avoided his that his wife still wasn't telling him everything. And? I know there's more, Jess, so spill. Pressing her harder, he felt he had the upper hand now. Jessica hesitated, clearly unsure of what she wanted to tell him. I... I don't know if I should. The story... Tom's temper started to rise. There'll be no fucking story if you're dead, Jess. I'll be investigating a homicide instead. The colour drained from her face, and she went quiet for the moment, as he left her to ponder his words, and they finished the meal in silence. Playing with her food, she still hadn't spoken since he began clearing away the dishes from the table. Tom, her voice had a slight tremor, maybe we should talk then. Dropping the plates in the sink, he returned to the table. Let's get a drink. Sit in the living room, shall we? Five minutes later, they were both seated on the sofa, Jessica with a glass of wine, while he had gotten himself a beer from the fridge. Do you really think they would? You know, she asked hesitantly, if they thought I found out something I shouldn't. Kill you, he finished his sentence for her. From the little I do know at the moment, without a doubt. She took a sip of her wine, and he noticed her hand was shaking. While he wasn't totally certain about what he'd told her that the gang would do, he had clearly achieved his objective in frightening her. Look, I don't think it's got anywhere near that yet, but unless you tell me what you know, I can't be sure. Trying to reassure her, he put his hand on her thigh, getting a weak smile in response. Biting her lip, Jessica sat and thought about what she was going to do, while he waited patiently. Finally, she sighed resignedly. Okay, I'll give you the little I've got, but you have to promise to give me the exclusive. Still the reporter, she offered to share the information she had. Deal, Tom replied with a grin. And if I can do anything to help, you'll let me? She threw into the bargain at the last minute. Sure, as long as you're not at risk, that's a deal breaker. Agreed? He was adamant on that point. Agreed, partner. Jessica nodded. Tom sighed and wondered just exactly what he'd let himself in for. To be continued. Reveal all except the truth Undercover stripper There we go. I gotta say, I really like that first chapter. I think there's a lot of potential in this story, and I'm definitely excited to see where it goes. It feels like an ambitious story. We're only 5,000 words in, and already we've been introduced to quite a lot of characters. We've got Tom's boss, DCI Greenwood. We've got his colleague, DC Lisa Williams. We've got Sarah the barmaid. We've got Tom's neighbour, Rob Greenwood. And we've got his wife, Jessica. And that's before any of the action of the story has really happened yet. This has all just been set up for what's about to come. So I've got a good feeling about this story. I think it's going to be an epic adventure. And I think by this point, I've read five or six stories and I'm sort of getting a feel for what a well-written story looks like. 
And I think this is a well-written story, especially in the dialogue, which is usually a bit of a weak spot in erotic literature. I think the dialogue in this comes across quite naturally. And it's possible that I'm not doing it any favours by putting on accents for each of the characters, but I hope you'll indulge me in doing that because I find that bit of it quite fun. <laughs> Trying to do different voices for different characters is something I've been experimenting a little bit with in some of the more recent series. You probably noticed it in Death is a Beautiful Blonde. It definitely makes recording a bit more fun, and I hope it brings some character and colour to the storytelling. That's the intention anyway. Although I will admit I found myself in a little bit of trouble at certain points when reading this story. Because I'm reading it for the first time, I sort of don't know what characters are like. And, <laughs> you know, I have to just guess what their accent should be based on, I don't know, it's just a sort of inkling or maybe an instinct about them. I'm not sure what the right word for it is. But I felt particularly with Rob Greenwood, who I did in a bit of a posh voice... <laughs> Uh, maybe he, that's not how he was written. I noticed there were a few things he said like, all right, mate, and <laughs> stuff like that in it, what I thought was actually probably not a natural thing for a posh person in their 60s to say. But that's the thing, having made the decision with his first line of dialogue that he was a posh guy, that's just how I have to do him now. <laughs> the same thing happened with Sarah, the barmaid decided she was sort of generic northern, maybe like Sheffield, Yorkshire kind of way, and I just found that a mistake. <laughs> I had to do a lot of takes of Sarah's lines because I kept wavering way off course with my accent. Sometimes it was sounding Liverpudlian, other times it veered off into Irish sounding. I was all over the place, so there were a lot of outtakes for her lines. And I hope that if you're from the north of England, you weren't offended by my portrayal of Sarah. I'm not a professional voice actor. I'm just doing my best. And equally, if you're an American or from some other part of the world, I hope you could still understand what Sarah was saying, despite my poor imitation of a northern accent. In any case, I've made my bed now, and the accents that those characters have are the accents that they'll have for the rest of the series. And if this story keeps generating characters in the way that it has done so far, I think I'm going to run out of ones that I know how to do. But anyway, enough about me and my reading. Let's talk about the story. One thing that really struck me, and I don't know if this is just an erotic story thing, or whether the author was trying to make a comment on how they think men's minds work, but it felt a bit unnatural that Tom seemed completely unable to keep his mind away from thinking about sex. He gives off these serious creepo vibes whenever he's around any women, and his descriptions of them are always commentary on what he finds attractive about them. Like Sarah, the ideal barmaid, is reduced to a decent pair of legs and a pretty impressive chest. And Tom can't help but imagine her naked as he spends the majority of his time at the bar ogling her pert backside. Particularly creepy as she is a decade younger than him, and also her youth is the very first thing that he tells us about her, which seems like a weird thing for him to focus in on. I think it's also telling that when we're introduced to Lisa, Tom's subordinate colleague, the focus is on her cute nose and slender hips, rather than on whether they have a good working relationship or if she's even good at her job. Tom is only thinking about whether she's sending signals that she wants to have sex with him, and if she was, would he cheat on his wife given the chance? And what signals is she sending that Tom thinks he's picking up on? Well, she moves around the office using her hips, as if that's a conscious choice. And the big giveaway, sometimes she looks at him. And that's it. That's enough for Tom to suspect that he's in with a chance. And I know that for us, as readers or listeners, there's not much to go on. But here's a little game. Take just a second now and decide whether you think Tom and Lisa are going to end up having sex by the end of the story. 
Made up your mind? Okay. There's still nine chapters for it to potentially happen in, and the author has specifically mentioned an unspoken connection between them, no matter how spurious that might be, so it's definitely not clear-cut. But I'm going to hedge my bets on my first instinct and say that it's not going to happen. I'm even tempted to say that I don't think Lisa has any interest in Tom, but what I'll say is even if it turns out that she does, I reckon that Tom's love for his wife will steer him clear. After all, that's what he says, isn't it? He could go for her if he wasn't so in love with Jess. That's something we can keep an eye on throughout this series. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Speaking of Jessica, Tom's wife, it was a bit strange to me that in the paragraph describing her looks, which is the main reason that Tom likes her, he talks about her lovely hair, her big eyes, long legs, but also includes his disappointment at her breast size. Only 34B, but draws plenty of admiring glances. He's a bit like, she's got crap tits, but she's still pretty fit. First of all, 34B isn't a small size. At least I don't think it is. And I've just spent the last 10 minutes fact-checking that statement by searching 34B boobs on Google Images, and everything I've seen has been delightful. Second of all, different sizes suit different body types. And given that Jessica has what Tom calls a willowy figure, enormous knockers would probably look ridiculous on her. Thirdly, why is Tom valuing his wife's attractiveness in terms of other people glancing at her? Is there a sense that he thinks that other men will judge him for having poor taste in women? And I guess the other thing to consider is why the author made the choice to include that comment. Because if they wanted to include a detail about Jessica's boob size, they could have made it a positive one. But instead they decided to make it a criticism. Are they trying to draw our attention to Tom's superficiality as a character? Are they trying to make a wider comment about how men value women? Or are they genuinely critical of small breasts themselves? Maybe, as I often half-suspect of erotic writers, their work reflects some of their own fantasies and preferences. Maybe there's some narrative reason why Jessica's breasts have to be framed that way, but I thought it was an unusual thing to do, and it surprised me, which is why I wanted to bring it up. There were a few points throughout this story where I started to doubt the operational competency of the police force that Tom works for, I mean, to start with, what kind of a police force is this where they're going to start talking about sending an undercover police officer into a high-risk situation before they've even done any background research? At this point, all they know is that it's a gang who are involved in some kind of scam. They don't know the identities of any of the personnel, they don't know where they operate from, or any of the specifics about what they're involved in doing. How does DCI Greenwood even know that an undercover operation is the right approach? It's incredibly high risk to put an officer into that situation, and it might not even be necessary. Also, why does he go straight to Tom, a detective sergeant? Isn't there a detective inspector between him and Tom? Is the DI being deliberately kept out of the loop? Is this force understaffed for some reason? Or is Greenwood such a micromanager that he has to go around his subordinates to give orders to their staff personally? The other question is why Tom is having to do all the research himself. Even a detective sergeant would definitely have officers at his disposal to gather basic information and chase up simple leads like at the planning office, for example. A real undercover operation would have a whole team of people working to support the officer who's actually taking the risk of assuming a false identity. It also seemed unrealistic to me that a detective of that rank wouldn't already know that a business can hide its identity through something like a solicitor. It would be a pretty poor criminal organisation that didn't launder their assets and who kept everything in their real names. And this kind of thing is probably a day one lesson at the training academy, so Tom shouldn't have been surprised to learn that that's possible. Digging even deeper, there's also something quite sketchy about the whole premise of the chief inspector asking Tom to get information from his wife. It's clearly a conflict of interest, and that would make any information or evidence that Tom is able to bring back immediately questionable. 
And I think it's also a pretty uncomfortable and unfair position for the chief inspector to put one of his officers in. I think if I were Tom, I'd be straight on the phone to HR to register a complaint, to tell them that a superior was putting pressure on me to involve my personal life in investigation. I think that's more than grounds to request a transfer to another team. The story of how Tom and Jessica met was a bit mental, wasn't it? It seemed needlessly complex that she rejected him at first, then seemed disinterested on the second date, and then by the third she was confessing that she was totally in love with him. That isn't a normal love story. It's not even normal behaviour, and I'm surprised that a police officer like Tom didn't find it a bit suspicious. I suppose by all accounts he was far too head over heels himself to notice anything unusual, and who can blame him for struggling to keep his head on his shoulders with the effect that Jessica has on him? Even her walking fully clothed through a cafe has him fully erect in under one second, which is quite an achievement, unrealistically quickly I'd say, especially for a 30-year-old. Even for a teenager at the peak of puberty, that is quicker than physically possible. Think about that. Less than a second. That's fast enough to generate some significant recoil. Bang! Hard cock. I'm surprised it didn't burst through his trousers like a xenomorph. <laughs> no wonder it was a little awkward. And no wonder all he can manage to say is, well, here I am, over and over again. It was funny to me that the only problem in their marriage is Jessica's stubborn streak. I wonder if that's how Jessica would see things. I reckon she'd probably say that the problem is Tom's stubborn streak. But is that the only problem? Is it maybe a problem that Tom is eyeing up every other female character we've been introduced to? What about that he's so quick to put his job before the relationship? Or the fact that he clearly doesn't respect her profession, and he also doesn't trust that she's capable of looking after herself in her role, despite the fact she's a professional journalist? In a way, I'm slightly worried about the dynamic that's emerging here. Tom seems able to manipulate Jessica quite easily, and for a journalist, she doesn't seem particularly tenacious. I definitely expected more of a fight from her, especially given that Tom says she has a stubborn streak. And what's actually materialised is that Tom is far more stubborn than Jess, and she's taken up the role as a kind of sidekick who's allowed to help from time to time, on the condition that it doesn't conflict with Tom's agenda. I always thought that being a journalist, especially a boots-on-the-ground, investigative journalist, required quite a lot of grit, and I'm surprised that she's not prepared to take more of a risk, and that she's so easily scared especially given how little they actually know about what's going on at this point. It also struck me as a little strange that Jess had the freedom to make the decision to back off all by herself. She's only 27, so she's unlikely to have the seniority within the newsroom to make that call. Doesn't she have a boss or an editor to talk this through with? Doesn't the paper have its own safety protocols to manage the risk to their reporting staff? What kind of paper is this? Is it just a small local one with a tiny budget? If that's the case, then it's probably not appropriate for them to be sending a junior reporter digging around into a dangerous criminal gang. One strange bit that threw me when I was reading it, and I had to go back and do a second take because I totally misjudged the tone, was when Tom comes home and he describes being assaulted by the smell of Jessica's cooking. But then he says, that smells nice. So I thought it was sarcasm. But then it turns out he was being genuine. And I'm not sure if that was maybe something left over from a previous draft or whatever, but being assaulted isn't a positive thing to feel. There's no such thing as a good assault. It's like saying your tongue was raped by delicious flavours. It just doesn't work. Ordinarily, I just assume that the writer hasn't thought about the words they're using. But because everything else is so well written, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I also want to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of the lack of sex in the story so far, which I think is fine. We've got 10 chapters, so there's plenty of time, and I think the scene has been set and some interesting foundations have been laid for a few different erotic scenarios. We've got the strip club and the girls that work there. We've got the athletic elderly gentleman neighbour, 
who I'm sure is athletic for a reason. You don't coincidentally mention that someone's athletic in an erotic story, unless that's going to come up later. We've also got the big-chested barmaid, Sarah. And of course there's the will-they-won't-they question of Tom's colleague Lisa. So I'm sure there's going to be plenty of sex to come in later chapters, but I wonder, with a title like Undercover Stripper, who is the stripper going to be? Is Tom going to recruit one of the girls at Sin City? Maybe Jessica's going to be the one going undercover. Or, and this is my favourite option, wouldn't it be great if Tom had to put on a little thong and do it himself? Although I get the feeling that that's probably not going to happen, even though it would be an excellent twist. I guess at this point anything could happen, and we're due to find out in Chapter 2 next week. But before we wrap up, there are some comments to talk about, and what's nice about this story is none of those comments are anonymous. Everybody who said something has got a name, so we'll have plenty of people to give their thoughts and feelings as we progress through the chapters. There are a lot of short ones, so I'll do all those first. Ambice says, intriguing. Boyd Percy says, good beginning. Dynasty 919 says, a promising start. MS Kessler says, I like where I think this is going. Venus underscore can says, wonderful start to the series. Tantanka Bill says, well this is fun, I'm hooked. Patricia169 says, sexy story, oh yes. Highbrow says, I'm not hooked, but I'm still hanging around because this is my thing. (laughs) They've spelt it like that as well, I didn't just add that in for flavour. Some slightly longer ones, first from Henry Temp, who says, great idea slash concept. Personally would have found it more interesting if they weren't so eager to jump into the sharing slash voyeur stuff, but that's the story you want to tell, and you're telling it well. Not sure I know what Henry Temp is talking about vis-a-vis the sharing slash voyeur stuff. Was there any of that in there? Not as far as I can think. But maybe that's a spoiler for something that's coming in the future. We'll have to wait and see. Guzzy at Home says, I'm enjoying your well-written stories, always well-constructed. This is the silly thing. The image on your biography is very poor. Nothing explicit needed, but surely you could find a better image. (laughs) Which is a bit of an odd thing to call them up on. Let's have a look at that bio and see what they're talking about. I mean, I guess I can see what they're talking about, but the author's probably done that on purpose to preserve some of their anonymity, and I think that's fair enough, really. There's also a comment here from Black Phobos, which is in Portuguese. I've had to translate it. I'm not going to try and pronounce it in the original Portuguese. I don't think I would do that justice. But I can read you the translation, which is, Good start. I'm curious to see how this plot unfolds. And i got to say, Black Phobos, I agree with you. Very positive comments section for a pretty good story, I think. And I'm excited to see where it goes. If you've enjoyed the first chapter of Undercover Stripper, and you want to read some other things written by the same author, UK underscore writer underscore 53, You can do that by heading to literotica.com and searching for UK underscore writer underscore 53 as an author on that website. They've got an enormous back catalogue. They have 127 submissions on their profile, so plenty to get involved with if you want to read more from this author. If you do drop in, then it would be great if you could show them some love by liking the story, giving them a positive rating, and maybe leaving a positive comment as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe, give it a rating, maybe write a short review. All of that stuff helps to spread the word about the podcast. But most of all, if you know somebody who you think will enjoy this podcast, then share it with them directly. Nothing's more effective than an in-person recommendation. 
I also want to quickly mention that if you feel able to financially support this podcast, then there is a Patreon page, it's £5 a month, and that money all goes towards keeping the show on the road, paying for the equipment used, and justifying the amount of time I spend recording and editing these stories for you. You can find a link to the Patreon in the description of this podcast. Before I go, I want to say thank you very much for tuning in and listening, for downloading this podcast. I'll be back next week with Chapter 2 of Undercover Stripper. Until then, have a fantastic week. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Reveal all except the truth Undercover Stripper Take off your clothes and move your body to distract the eye. Nobody knows that underneath you're an undercover spy. Reveal all except the truth. Undercover stripper. Never tell them that you're a found a <laughs> I can't do the accent consistently. Alright, hang on. Don't usually see you in it. <laughs> Fucking hell. How did I do that accent? Never know unless you ask, sweet <laughs> I'm going Scottish. <laughs> <laughs>